Well, hey you, hello there, every person everywhere. Hello again, everybody. I hope you're doing well on this fine morning, evening, afternoon, or whatever time of day it is, wherever you are in the world. My name is Lynn. I am your host for Every Person Everywhere, and this is stuff that you can relate to. So, today is my first day driving to work now that I've moved in with my partner. The commute has extended by about 10 minutes, which is honestly just long enough to be annoying. And as such, of course, I'm continuing to keep my eyes open. But whatever tips and tricks I find along the way to shorten the commute and also continue to follow my own advice I gave you in the last season about dealing with road rage and dealing with negative moments in your life, I'm going to continue to try and follow as well. On the bright side, this drive does not feel like 50 minutes because it's very beautiful, at least to me, because I pass by the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair, which I'm just passing now. It's about 15, 20 minutes into my 50-minute commute, and it's through the middle of scenic nowhere, as I know it anyhow. Of course, to people that live around here, it's always long enough to be annoying, but I'm still very much the new kid in town, so to me, it doesn't really phase me that much. And speaking of the Renaissance Fair, every single year at Renaissance Fairs around the world, people dress up like their favorite medieval, dark ages, steampunk, Victorian whatevers, because the Renaissance really just means enlightenment, and enlightenment is exactly what I'm going to pervade my chat with you about today. Enlightenment to the individuals that made up the early memories of Iceland, but were not very well liked. In fact, they were very well frowned upon. Because you see, they practiced a lot of arts that we actually now sort of celebrate sometimes today at the Renaissance Fair. That's right. I'm talking about witchcraft, and I'm talking about sorcery, and what it meant to those individuals back then. You see, individuals that had a very natural niche for telling the weather and forecasting the weather were often seen as seers. These people were wise beyond their years because we would later have scientific evidence to purvey most of what they talked about. But back then, you were magical. Nobody knew that certain things happened around certain times of the year and certain weather patterns would mean almost certain drought and doom later in the year whereas other weather patterns would mean certain prosperity hope wealth and bounty abound but these people knew and they were wise beyond their years and so they were called the vulvar and in the witchcraft and sorcery museum in Holmavik, a very small, sleepy Christmas side town, and if you Google it, in Christmas, it looks exactly like something you'd see on a Christmas postcard, mind you. I learned a little bit more about the way that they lived their lives in the times of witchcraft and sorcery. Because you see, if people made a prediction or a prophecy that the the townspeople found to come true and they didn't like you were a witch and you were bad because all witches were bad back then and you got burned now 
Floki, in his own regards, could have been considered a Vulver or a seer, but he wasn't. He was too cool to be, and if you look at it that way, Iceland was really settled on witchcraft, sorcery, and magic, as they knew it back then. <clears throat> After all, there's lots of geological phenomena that happen there that don't happen in a good chunk of the rest of the country. Of course, I'm talking about geothermal energy. Of course, I'm talking about volcanic energy that doesn't cause major earthquakes because they don't sit on the fringe of a tectonic plate. I'm talking about the midnight sun. And this is something that even when the people that came from Hedeby and Kattegat in Norway and Denmark and Sweden, they hadn't heard of, they still had some degree of day and night cycle at all points in the year. And all of a sudden, it was magical, but scary because the sun would be up for days and weeks and months on end, depending on where they were in the country. Or quite the opposite, it would just never come up, and then it was time to be quiet and retreat. The first couple of winters were very harsh in Iceland, because they didn't know what they were doing. And so as I paged through some of the murals at Skauholt in the Golden Circle, and I paged through some of the intramurals in the Icelandic Saga Museum in Reykjavik, and I paged through all the things I saw at this witchcraft and wizardry museum. A lot of it made sense to me as things that are very perfectly natural phenomena, but the layperson of the 10th and 11th centuries would not have known this. So needless to say, about 60-some women and I believe another five men around the country would burn in their own witchcraft trials, much like the Salem trials in Boston, Massachusetts, and the surrounding area. <clears throat> All because people didn't understand. It's almost like it still happens today, doesn't it? But, as sad as that may be, I do not dwell and I do not digress too far. We have important things to talk about. Now, because they learned how to harness the natural phenomena of the lands to their gratitude. And there was a lot of creepy looking stuff and glyphs and sigils. And of course, you got a lesson on the origins of Vagvisir and all the glyphs and runes you see in Iceland, which were meant to be protection or spell casting runes from the sorcerers and sorceresses. The sorcerer's cottage in Holmavik and Drangsnes area of Iceland is still inhabited to this day. It's very hard to access except for a couple of months a year, just because it's hard to get to otherwise. Remember how I said I almost slid off the mountain? You had to do that to try and get to this mountainside. And there were some dogs there that always stood guard. It was very eerie and ominous, actually. You could still feel sort of an eerie mana to the place. And that probably won't make sense to a lot of people. To this day, I know it sure doesn't for me. But to them, it was very, very real and very, very scary. Wow. So, right outside Drangsnes and Holmavik, this beautiful town in which we climbed and looked over the sleepy, settled snow, and we looked over everything in the village below. We saw the fishing trawlers. We saw the churches. We saw the buildings coming to light one by one as night befell us very quickly. 
as it took us a good three, three and a half hours to get there from where we were. Also, because the speed limit in the country, due to its conditions, at all times of year, the speed limit being a maximum of maybe 40 to 45 miles per hour, roughly 60 to 70 kilometers per hour, of course, it was very hard to get somewhere fast. But you learned, and you managed. And so, we did, very slowly, get to where we wanted to go. Now, the next part of the natural phenomenon that we got to see and be a part of was none other than hot pots. You see, a hot pot to somebody in Asia would be a giant vat of food that's left on a slow simmer that you eat off of a hot plate. And you get it from this hot pot of food and eat it. But here, you were theoretically the food in the hot pot because a hot pot in Iceland meant a geothermal spa, which meant water that was heated naturally through the convection currents of volcanic activity deep within the earth. There are several saunas in Reykjavik that I would later go to and enjoy. They were heated completely by the earth. None quite like this one. Of course, there's the Blue Lagoon, which is the most popular and famous, which I will go to eventually, but did not have the money to justify spending on it. There was also the Secret Lagoon in the Golden Circle, which once again did not have money to justify spending on it, as it was fairly similar to the springs that I saw, that I sat in in Reykjavik, and it was fairly similar to the experience I had at this tiny, tiny little hot pot in Holmavik. And that one was a suggested donation. Now me, being a tourist and also slightly American and slightly unethical, I did not. I think my friend put a donation in for both of us because they had the money. But I did not have the money, so I therefore did not donate. I did, however, enjoy the very cold shower and then getting into the hot pot. Because you see, there's no chemicals in the water. It is completely geothermic water. If there's any chemicals in the water, it's coming from the volcanic activity and the limestone and the brimstones and the salts of the earth. And the chemicals that we have on our bodies, just being human and having chemicals coming out of our bodies and our pores, not very healthy to bring into that environment. It's very toxic for that very natural environment. So I had to take a very cold shower and then sprint promptly into the hot pot. There was a lukewarm section and then there was the hot section. Everyone was in the hot section drinking beers. My friend and I first got into the lukewarm section and we sat there and we enjoyed just being part of this natural phenomenon around us. And then we hear a voice calling from the other side of the pool. This man from the Czech Republic, this man from Poland, and this Icelandic local, and they had called us in. The Icelandic local and his wife, I should say. They all called us in to this hot section. They said, well, what are you guys sitting over there for? And we said, sorry, we're awkward around people we don't know, as is the American way. And they said, oh, Americans, by all means, 
come, let's tell stories. And so the first beer I had in Iceland was the Gold, uh, Gold, I believe it was, followed by one of their Christmas ales. It was this man I'd never see again, but he could tell a poor tourist when he saw one, and he offered us these beers free of charge, and the only expectation he had from us was company and stories. Now, this was a phenomenon that, to me, was largely lost in most of the world. I would come to enjoy this time and time again throughout my travels in Europe, and then bringing these stories of Europe back to America, obviously. But for the spaces in between, unheard of quite often. Which is why I'm here now, telling you my stories. We saw whales and dolphins crashing against the waves and jumping out of the water in the pale moonlight with the moonlight just setting over Reykjavik in the far, far distance. We drank some beer and we talked about those stories. We talked about the things we'd seen and done. They gave us suggestions of things to do all across the country. Most of them involving going to the black sand beaches, which we did eventually, as I'd said before, Tupelansander. We got ideas for hiking, which we unfortunately couldn't really do because weather constraints. We got suggestions on how to just enjoy life in this somewhat inhospitable but always beautiful land. You see, life wasn't always thriving there because of, obviously, where it was in the world. But they always had each other's backs and they always made it through. And that speaks volumes to me. And so after we sat in the hot pot talking and drinking for a good two to two and a half hours, it was time for us to go home, talk to the locals at the hostel, catch up with James, who had just made his way from Topeka, Kansas, via Greyhound bus to BWI Airport, or Dulles Airport, I forget which, just as I had to take a cheap one-way flight to Iceland. He had found an advertisement on WorkAway, which is a very large website, internationally owned, that just basically allows stipends, housing, a little bit of money here and there, and you go and work away in a foreign country. To this day, James has returned and married and now co-owns a restaurant in the same sleepy town that he once called home when he first moved to Iceland, Akhenes. We had a lot of good stories. He introduced me to his stories and or the world of psychedelics. Quite an experience. I mean, obviously, once in Iceland stays in Iceland, but quite an experience there to indulge him on. He told me all about why he left. And interestingly enough, this man also had a tattoo from the Unitarian Universalist congregations. He was on the board of advisees in Topeka's only Unitarian Universalist congregation. And he had the flaming chalice on top of a menorah or something similar on his back. His only tattoo, and he was so proud of it. He was a Jewish UU. I was a pagan UU who followed Buddhist principles. And Dakota, who I met at the UU congregation in New York, was a practicing tantric Buddhist. 
Interesting how hearts can connect and combine miles apart, miles away from home. And here we were, talking to the locals. It was now the day before New Year's. The next day, we would enjoy looking at the drying racks where they would create hard fisker. We would look at the lighthouse that sometimes gets too flooded to enter, and we would look at the surrounding areas in Akranes and enjoy them for the day. Before we made lunch once again, as we did so many times before, did I mention that when you buy gas, coffee is free? And coffee is actually usually cheap, if not free, in most major gas stations, or petrol stations rather, in Iceland. They really know how to treat their people. I do not regret. And so this came to pass as well. And then for the next leg of our adventure, we joined some of the locals and some of the tourists for a night I will never forget. New Year's Eve 2017. My first time exploring Reykjavik. And our story will pick up there in the next episode. And until then, be well. I add my nurturing silence.